Case 20, A Person of Great Power. Master Song Wan said, Why can't a person of great strength lift his own foot? Because he speaks without using his tongue, he continued. A person of great power, Master Song Yan said, Why can't a person of great strength lift his own foot? Because he speaks without using his tongue, he continued. Wu Men's comment. It must be said that Song Yan spills his guts, but no one takes up his challenge. But should there be one, let that person come to my place for a good thorough beating. Why so? If you want to authenticate genuine gold, observe it in fire. Lifting a foot, he kicks over the fragrant ocean. Lowering his head, he sees the four meditation heavens. One whole body, ungraspable. Now we'll write for five minutes. Okay. Uh, does someone want to talk? I'm not sure if we talked after this or we talked after we read the whole comment section with Guagu. I, I, I don't remember, I think. We've done both, Gail. We read um, the comments first. I have the instructions here. Right. That's, that's the way we used to do it. We read the comment. No, no, we haven't read Guyugo's comment. No, no, no. But I think what we did last time, and I think it worked well, is we talked a little before we read Guyugo's comment. Oh, OK. All right. I have a bunch of thoughts, but how about others? I do, too, but I think mine will sound silly. So I don't think so. You want no. to say them? Yes, I will, because because it's always a revelation to me how deeply rooted my Christian um, constructs are, because I'll read something and it'll take me to something that I that I learned in that practice. And so um, he was talking about lifting a foot, which but which brought to mind elevating, elevating oneself in a certain way. And that actually, when you elevate yourself in any way, you destroy this practice, you destroy your vision. And then, of course, I wrote to the side. If I say I understand this, that means I'm speaking without using my tongue. So while I'm saying this, I also know that I may be so far away from the deeper understanding. And then when you bow to existence as it is, you, you discovered your true self and true existence. And so not elevating self and bowing to what is opens the universes. That's what I got from that. And from the Christian tradition, it said if you, if you, if you speak your thoughts and your heart's not connected, then you may as well just be silent. 
That was it. That's what I got. So there's there's more connection than you think between the East and the West and like Buddhism and Christianity and the the guy who, who was like one of the leading influences on Japanese tea ceremony his wife was a was a Christian and he saw the forms that she was doing and so then he said oh we need forms like that and also in terms of the lifting there's the story of the the Buddha's coming to town or something and the road's all muddy but but one of the ideas in when we bow and we go like this is lifting Buddha. Lifting Buddha. So, but I, I agree about the lifting the foot is, uh, well, speaking with the tongue is, the, is speaking with your body. You said with your heart, with, you know, with the whole being. And the lifting the foot is what you do to go somewhere. I took it, you know, that you have to lift your foot if you want to walk. So you can't really go anywhere. And also you can't do it by yourself. Why can't a person of great strength lift his foot? Because he speaks without using his tongue. So he's not connecting with other people. It's what I got. And it was interesting. Why didn't anyone answer? But if they had answered, they would deserve a, a, a big beating. Because, and I think you said something about that, Nelda, about... Uh, I, I note to myself, if I say I understand this one, then I'm speaking without using my tongue. Yeah. And then what about the gold in the fire? I, I put something like, Fire is saying something with your tongue. Again, for me, it was a Christian construct. Refinement comes by fire, just like with silver and gold. Refinement comes by holding the most intense, and this is the Christian construct, experiences. And the impurities falling away, and what's left is the, the true weight of that, of that metal. Hmm. So you see how steeped I am? I didn't even realize. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I just saw in that one line, if you want to authenticate genuine gold, observe it in fire. And he's talking about beating somebody. <laughs> it, it just uh, struck me that um, it's in our challenges that... Um, you know, that, that our presence can truly come through, you know, if, if we've been practicing. It's kind of like where the rubber meets the road. Right. <laughs> right. Like you think you get it until something happens, or you get a right. beating. <laughs> and then, and then see, you know, uh, how well this understanding or how, how well this um, practice is really settled in me, you know, uh, for you to be able to draw on it maybe in moments of stress. Yes. This morning I said something about how Zazen really starts when it's over. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same idea that, that but I, the, the connection between good thorough beating, the end of one sentence, and then fire, 
So you're kind of Gail, you're trying to see them. The the it's the good thorough beating is is similar to fire, to uh, a real challenge. I think so. I I mean that was what you know. I don't know. It just that's just what came up for me when I when I read it. I thought about that. <laughs> it's um you know hard to say. It's funny in retreat, uh, Kim, when I would go to the um, uh, silent retreats that Ajashanti uh, gave um, once or twice a year. At the end of retreat, he would always say, and now the treat is really beginning, you know, when you leave, you know, the real retreat is happening. <laughs> this other was kind of a little vacation. <laughs> Not really, it never felt like a vacation to me. It felt pretty um, powerful. Stephanie, you're looking really California there with the clouds in the background and the glasses. I actually I actually spent the day at Redondo Beach today and I'm wiped out. Yeah. Saw lots of dolphins. Oh, Did nice. you see dolphins? Lots oh. of dolphins. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, a day at the beach wipes you out totally. It's so yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty wiped out, guys. But I, I appreciate you. I'm listening and I appreciate everything you have to say. And Lori. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I kind of was thinking in another direction completely different. Um, but um, I'm wondering about it because it, it seems like um, I, I would get a thorough beating. <laughs> <laughs> Having said what I, what I wrote. Um, I guess I was looking at the at the bottom the, the the second sentence first, or I was considering it first about speaking without using his tongue. I I guess instead of of um, the way uh, Melda was looking at it, I was thinking of it in terms of um, I was thinking of the Heart Sutra. You know, you have no tongue, no nose, no mouth, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and if it's somebody who's, if it's, if they're talking about somebody who, who um, has no tongue, I was kind of equating that with, with enlightenment. And so a, a person of great strength, lifting a foot wouldn't make any sense at all, because they'd be the part of the whole and there wouldn't be any foot. <laughs> That's where I went with it. You know what? You know what, Lori? I was kind of along that same um, that same thought process in the in the actual koan uh, itself. I didn't pay any attention to woman's comment. Yeah, <laughs> but I was kind of I was kind of thinking the same thing. Um, who is this person that has a foot? Yeah, that, you know it's um, and you know where is your speech coming from? So when you mumble, do you not use your tongue? <laughs> I think speech is, I don't know. You have to use your tongue. Maybe action, maybe action speaks louder than words. <laughs> maybe you're just, your beingness speaks louder than uh, the words. I don't, 
you know, it's a koan. <laughs> that, that's where I went to, but thank you, Gail, for those words. It's actions speak louder than words. It's how you live your life, not... And yet, lifting a foot is an action. And so that's where I thought, well, maybe that's not the direction. So do we want to find out? Yeah, let's read that. <laughs> I went to a speech therapist as a kid, and there was a lot of like tongue stuff he was trying to teach me, you know, put your tongue here, put your tongue here. So, so it is um, an important element of speech if you want to speak clearly. Okay. Okay. So Gail read, so there's, uh, oh, and um, Donna, Donna got caught up with too much work at work. Um, so it's Kim, Nelda, Stephanie now. No, Kim, no, Lori. Okay. Kim, Lori, Nelda, Stephanie. Okay. Sean Master, Sangyan, Sean Yu, practiced extremely hard as a lay person. Later in his life, he became a monk. Before he was ordained, he already had some insight or awakening experiences. His question to you, why can't a person of great strength lift his own foot? Cuts through very discriminating discursive thoughts you have. Oh, cuts through every, why can't a person of great strength lift his own foot? Cuts through every discriminating discursive thought you have. It is not something you can somehow reflect on or ponder or apply to life. Yet in life's every situation, this is precisely the question you should be asking yourself. Oh, Sang Changwan is the only contemporary master of women's of women's to be included in the gateless barrier, which shows women's respect for him. When Song Yang died at the age of 71, Wu Min was only in his 20s at the peak of his practice. Song Yuan's words, why can't a person of great strength lift his own foot because he speaks without using his tongue, became so famous that everyone knew him, including the people he, who read The Gateless, Gateless Barrier during that time. In fact, Song Yuan had another famous saying, why is it that a person who has great awakening cannot let go of his discriminations? Mm -hmm. Wan himself, oh, sorry. Sorry, Nelda. That's all right. Wan himself underwent great practice, a practice of great blazing fire. He first studied with Chan Master Dawi Song Gao, Gao as a layperson. Dao Wei was the greatest advocator of the Gongan and the Hao To practice. Am I saying that right? How? Watu. Watu. Watu practice. Thank you. So I'll read it again. Dao Wei was the greatest advocator of the Gongan and <laughs> Watu practices. One night after Sangwan heard Dao Wei mentioning another great master, he packed up his bag and left to go study with that master. As soon as he heard this master's name, 
he had suddenly felt a strong urge to pay him a visit. Sure enough, he had his first awakening experience under that master. He later visited other teachers. He became like a person with whom you simply can't debate. He knew all the Zen sayings and how to respond with a quick witty saying and gesture. That is until he met his match. Chan Master Myan Yangji. Upon first meeting him, Sangwan demonstrated his understanding. Zhangji just smirked at him. It was a powerful smirk. It made Sangwan so uneasy that he began to have doubts about his own understanding. He asked himself, am I wrong? Why was I wrong? He plunged into the practice even more deeply, forgetting to sleep and eat. One day after Sangwan became Zhang Ji's attendant, the monks gathered in the master's bedroom. One of them asked, Master, what is the meaning of not Buddha, not mind, and neither mind nor Buddha? This is a phrase from another Gongan. Upon hearing this, even before Zhang Ji gave an answer, Song Wan's doubt was suddenly shattered. He realized great awakening. He then uttered these words, speaks without using tongue. This was his awakening declaration. Later on, before he died, spilling his guts out, he gave these two lines to his students. Why can't a person of great strength lift his own foot? because he speaks without using his tongue. Here, Song Wan reveals the secret of Chan. That's why we have this going on. Wait, is someone getting this? That is it advantageous to speak without using your tongue? Yes. Who said yes? Nelda. I'm going to find out because I'm going to read. Okay. <laughs> your ability to practice depends on your ability to integrate the teachings and make them your own. There are many ways to practice. One way is to use the teachings, but not as patches of gold that you decorate yourself with to make you look good, to mask your shortcomings. My teacher used to say, engaging in genuine practice is like opening and cleaning a thousand year old toilet. You have to dig out and scrape off all the encrusted feces and urine. For some people, practice is like painting gold leaf on the toilet commode and then spraying it with Febreze or some other air freshener so that from the outside, it looks very beautiful, very valuable. <laughs> this is useless because on the inside, the stench is still strong. All you need to do with the old toilet is clean it. To make it clean, you have to open the lid and scrub and perhaps clean the piping too, because if it is clogged, <coughs> the pure water won't come through to make it flush. So it is important to thoroughly clean out this thousand-year-old toilet. You clean not just for your own use, but for everyone to use because everyone is connected. Practice in this context means that when you face difficulties, challenges, praise, or blame, you drop your survival mechanism and just respond to what is needed. 
Your practice, you practice to practice, and to practice means to let go and offer yourself. You may have the idea that you practice Chan as a part of your Bodhisattva path. Yes, that's true, but the Bodhisattva does not think of him or herself as the Bodhisattva. You don't help others thinking that you're helping others or expect a thank you in return. Otherwise, every time you help, you ask, where is my receipt or where is my thank you? Then practice the exchange. This is the worldly attitude. Chan practice is inseparable from the world, but it is not the worldly way. Next time you offer yourself to someone and they thank you, reply, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Sang Yan provides you with another way to practice. He asks, why can't a person of great strength lift his own foot? Of course he can, but that is precisely the point. When I was out walking recently, I saw three fellows through the window of a martial arts center. They were doing bench presses, lifting weights. So what Sang Yan is saying is, why is it that these three strong fellows lifting weights can't lift a single pound? He even presses on. If you try to say something, then say it without your tongue. Do you know that your ability to articulate, to speak, largely depends on the tongue? The shape of your tongue, whether it is long or short, will determine the pronunciation of words coming out of your mouth. Now, you wouldn't be able to speak, eat, taste, and so on if your tongue were cut out, as it plays a vital role in these activities. The flavor of Song Yan's words is that someone is speaking, yet is not saying a single word. The purpose of all Gong Yangs is for you to personally put yourself in the situation of the Gong Yan not to think it through in an intellectual, moral, or ethical way, but experience it directly. All gong-ongs point to your true nature, to who you are, to your full potential as a Buddha. Everyone is a Buddha. This is Chan's position. Yet how far have you strayed from your Buddhahood? When I was in high school, the gym class was all about bodybuilding, weightlifting. I was pretty skinny while other students would bench press 225 or 250 pounds. <coughs> People asked each other, how much do you press? No one would ever admit to pressing zero. Isn't that in direct opposition to this case? Generally, people want you to know what they have and what they can do. And what they, from the perspective of Chan, the world is upside down. If you want to know Chan, you have to admit that you really don't have anything. Don't even know who you are. What Song Wan is saying is, why is it you have no mouth when you have a mouth? Why is it that you have no eyes when you have eyes? Why is it that all day long you walk from here to there, yet you have not walked a single step? What does that mean? Can you walk? You develop all kinds of ways to help yourself walk in life. But in truth, when you walk, you don't lift a single foot. When you talk, the tongue is not used. 
So, Lori, it seems like what you said was has been verified here. Do you think? I, yeah, I think so. I mean, it sounds a little bit like it. Yeah. It must be said that Song Wan spills his guts, but no one takes up his challenge. But should there be one, let that person come to my place for a good, thorough beating. Woman says that someone has given you everything he's got, telling you how to practice, how things actually are, but no one is able to take up the challenge. Although he reveals to you exactly what the enlightened state is, no one understands. Actually, Woman's comment is a play on words because when Sanyan died, he had no successor. So literally, literally, no one took up his challenge. Therefore, on one level, no one took up the mantle or the challenge. Yet woman continues, but should there be one, let that person come to my place for a good thorough beating. Why? It should be clear by now. Ordinary people do things for their own gain. Now I can bench press 225 pounds and I can make sure everyone knows it. Maybe you have more muscles on the outside, but what about on your inside? If you think you gained something, even a spiritual awakening, then that is an attachment. Certainly, although Song Wan had many insights and awakening experiences before he met Zhang Ji, Zhang Ji just laughed at him. People may think that awakening is the solution to life's problems. So they seek after it with all of their might. Little do they know that it's only the beginning of genuine practice. Practice continues without end. Why? Because for most people, their meager awakening experiences quickly revert to self-grasping. Even awakening can be grasped as a thing. This is the downfall of many seasoned practitioners and teachers, especially when they are put in the position of authority. Teachers must practice even harder, more carefully, lest their position goes to their head. In recent years, many scandals involving teachers have been exposed. These scandals happen primarily because of careless practice or a practice that is not thoroughgoing. This results in the suffering of all parties. You may say we're all human, but this is not good enough. You're not human, you're Buddhas. You should then behave like a Buddha. Practice like gold. Please don't settle for less. Don't take garbage as gold. Don't take vexations as wisdom. For this reason, woman says, if you want to authenticate genuine gold, observe it in fire. Implication is that in order to turn gold into a real gem, one needs to get rid of or melt away the encrusted rot and other gunk that covers it. That's why one puts it through the fire, through fire. If the temperature is high enough, the gold can be shaped. This means that people who think they have got some realizations must let go of them. Otherwise, it will harm others in the long run. A genuine practitioner must go through training like blazing fire. A genuine practitioner can discern or authenticate only through a blazing fire. I'm not talking about self-emulation. 
but to put yourself to the test, to melt away the crust, the gunk, the rocks, the earth, so that your genuine gold can reveal itself. How do you do this? Through hard training. This is very important. A teaching that is too easy, that sounds too good to be true, is not that useful. If I were to say, you are intrinsically a Buddha, so goodbye. Now go, be a Buddha and do whatever you want, since you are originally enlightened, and leave it at that. Leave it at that. This would expose me as an irresponsible teacher. Yes, although you are originally a Buddha, I invite you to come to a retreat, to sit for 12, 16 hours a day, to go through the hard training of dropping away your encrusted earth and rocks that cover your gold. I remember in the monastery once the visit of a monk of some notoriety who had been the attendant to a great teacher. Master Xing Yin and I went to the main hall to receive him. From a distance, seeing the visitor making prostrations, my teacher saw an opportunity and turned to me. You know, Gugo, this monk used to be a great attendant to Master So-and-so, who used to scold him and make fun of him. But the monk never retaliated or resisted. No vexations. He sighed and said with longing, such a great attendant. Of course, upon hearing these words, I began to reflect on my own behavior as an attendant and felt so ashamed. Sheng Yin was talking as if he wished he had an attendant like this. Then he said, do you know why he didn't get chased away? My teacher had to actually spell it out for me, spilling his guts, just like Song, Song Wan. He, ans he answered his own question. It's because he knew how to practice Buddha Dharma in all situations, all situations. I felt so ashamed. I was clearly at the lowest spiritual level where my teacher had to spell things out so clearly. He continued mercilessly. What a good attendant. Do you see how good he was? At this point, I was in tears. I changed after that. This is an example of putting yourself to the test, putting a practitioner in the furnace. Wow. My teacher also used to publicly humili humiliate me because he knew it would get to me. It got to me because of my own self-attachment. You think you're a good meditator? You're a good monk, a good practitioner? Let's try some public humiliation and see how you respond. Self-attachment is very slippery. Most of the time, especially in the monastery where everything is basically peaceful, our self-attachment cannot be seen. Where everything is going well, there are no opportunities to discover hidden vexations. So the teacher creates that opportunity. Our sense of self arises when we are challenged or threatened. During a recent retreat, several practitioners seem to have had vexations co actually caused by me, the teacher. <coughs> I keep thinking more and more as, uh, as I'm facing life that there's the thing I'm facing and then the my uh, response to facing that and um, the, the second one is the one that I'm you know I seem to keep messing up on 
I challenged them and put them to the test. During my evening talk, my person, one person shared how he had a powerful experience of clarity. I just laughed at him. He was annoyed and blushed red. Why? Only, only through challenges can a teacher see how practitioners respond, see their spiritual capacity and whether they are ripe or not. Without this method, how will the teacher know what kind of teaching is needed? Woman says, if you want to authenticate genuine gold, observe it in fire. Buddhism's notion of self-attachment is not about personality or character, but has to do with our self-image, self-referentiality, that assumption that I am such and such and this and that. This is self-attachment. People have such strong opinions that they think all of their ideas are theirs. They are not. Their opinions come from learning and interacting, from the books they read, from going to seminars and workshops. Everything comes from everything else. Guyago comes from non-guyagui. Opinion comes from non-opinion. People have this strange assumption that their opinion and views are theirs. This false notion mm -hmm. must be relinquished. Views may seem innocuous, but this basic sense of possession is extremely dangerous. It is because of this grasping that people experience suffering and that even teaching, teachers transgress their precepts. People sometimes misunderstand Chan or Zen. They think the methods are rather wild, unreasonable. But the teacher is using these techniques only as expedient means to train close disciples or students. Teachers, of course, may make mistakes in assessing the readiness of their students. If a harsh teach, teaching method is used too soon, the student will not get benefit, but will get discouraged. However, when the student is ready, the teacher knows that the vexation will change into a great source of power. Lifting a foot, he kicked over the fragrant ocean. Lowering his head, he sees the four meditation heavens. The first two lines of Wuman's verse refer to traditional Indian Buddhist mythology, which states that in our universe or cosmos, there are four different world systems that surround a center. The center is Mount Sumeru, a mountain surrounded by an ocean called the Fragrant Ocean. We live to the south of Mount Sumeru in a world called Jambudvipa. Essentially, this verse says that a person of great strength is the master of the cosmos. When he lifts his foot, he kicks over the Fragrant Ocean. When he lowers his head, he looks down on the four dhyana, or meditation, heavens, which are abodes of pure form. In Buddhism, these states are still not liberation, but temporary abodes of rebirth from samadhi practice. What this verse says is that a great person of power has full control over the universe, one whole body, ungraspable. How can we be the master of the universe? We may think that this man of great power is like a giant, so tall that he walks over the four dhyana heavens. 
The truth is, he cannot be grasped anywhere in the cosmos. He is nowhere to be seen. Something that can be seen can be gotten. Something that is gained has form and can be lost. We are not talking here about gaining and losing, existence and non-existence, having and not having. Wuman is talking about selfless wisdom. What do you say to this? Wuman asks us to finish this verse. It's interesting to me that um, the master of the universe is not in the center, but to the south. All of these words, <coughs> and we're in the south, aren't we? Not in the southern hemisphere. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought I had it figured out. All of, all of these words. Maybe you did, I don't know. Yet I have, I have not explained anything. Why can't a person of great strength lift his own foot? Because he speaks without using his tongue. All day long you talk. Are you using your tongue? He's like, have you said anything? If you think you have said something, then come to my place for a good, thorough beating. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, all I can say is I don't need to go to a monastery to get a good, thorough beating or uh, humiliation. <laughs> I just can go out and get triggered by my husband, by my kids, by any number of things. The, new, the, the news, the news, the news, the news. <laughs> yeah, and it's, um, you know, I, I kind of um, was reminded, you know, uh, Lori, um, of your talk with Flint and in inquiry uh, the mm. other day, I was really relating totally, because I don't know how many times um, I've been had the same challenges come up where I've really been tested and kind of totally lost it, you know, felt like I lost my practice completely. And um, then I asked myself, why is this happening to me again? Why is this happening again? And yet that's what practice is. It's showing you all the places that you've been attaching to a self. It's all your self attachment. Yeah. And every, every single time it happens, when I have time to reflect, I realize that that's what it was. It was, you know, somebody was attacking some sense of myself that um, is actually false. That's why, <laughs> that's why it's so painful. I'm clinging to something that isn't even so. You know. the, and do you ever um, ask yourself when you find that happening, I know I'm doing this. Why do I keep doing this? All the time. <laughs> that, yeah. That's what I struggle with. Yeah, yeah. that was the yeah. whole point. Mm -hmm. That's exactly well, and, it. That's and Lori, yeah. that's people ask me why I practice. Why do you need to sit every morning? I mean, my mother will say, why do you need to do that every day? <laughs> because I don't get it yet. I, I, even I, there is no there is no yet it's sort yeah. of like an ongoing thing you know it's life as it is it just comes up and and yeah. um you have to meet it i i was going to tell a quick story 
that this made me think of. Um, I went to a retreat with uh, Flint and Appamata. Oh God, Lori, you and I were um, roommates in that retreat. It was. Um, oh, it's Red Corral. Yes. And you remember what a crazy retreat that was because they had us learning all these different roles and, you know, we were trying to, people were trying to train the ones who didn't know and we had to do it in silence and it was crazy. And then Flint also had a, um, he also had a very close uh, I know that, was, that was at the Jewish, um, the Jewish boys uh, ranch. Yes, that's yeah. where it was. That's where it that's, was, yeah. I'm That's where it was. Well, anyway, in the wake of that retreat, at the very end, when we were all kind of talking out of silence and talking in a group together before we all, you know, ended, um, Flip kept kind of pressing me, you know, like, what did you get out of this? And I was trying to say things that felt very spiritual and stuff. And, but he was kind of bugging me a little bit, <clears throat> like he wasn't buying it or whatever. And, and so I... I went home and then I texted him after the retreat was all over. And I said, you know, you were kind of picking on me a little bit. And he came back and he said to me something to the effect of you are not helping anyone. He, he said that to me in a way that when I took it, it just totally, I mean, I went for three days in a depression. I went into my room and cried for three days and shut the door. And I realized that what he had done is he had poked at this idea I had of myself as being somebody who needs to, must always codependently help everybody, mm. help everybody. And he had just like, if I'm not helping, <laughs> then I must be hurting. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, you know, I, I was the helper. I was the good guy. They were the ones that needed help, you know? <laughs> and um, he poked at that. And for three days, I went into a depression. I'm not kidding. I cried and cried. My husband came in and out of the room periodically asking if I was okay. I didn't want to eat. All I wanted to do was sleep. Mm. And <clears throat> when I came out of it, I felt empty. I, I really did. I felt numb and I felt hollowed out, empty. And um, <clears throat> I went to Appamata for uh, I guess it was inquiry or something a few days later. And I just sat in the corner. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to interact. Flint saw me and he smiled, gave me the sweetest smile. And then later he told me that was the healthiest, the healthy part of you, the part that showed up, you know, yeah. that day. And, um, but that's what happened. What he did was, was he, 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 he literally put a, a knife in the heart of one of my cherished um, self-images. Mm. See, yeah. so that's what I—that's what I was thinking of when he was talking about here, you, you know. And then later I realized that that's what happened—that the helper actually had been uh, given a death blow. Mm. A, a good thorough beating. A good thorough beating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't realize until that happened and later it all became clear that I had been clinging to that identity mm. and he was just going to cut it off right there. You know, you're not that. Wow. That's, that reminds me so much of um, an awakening. I wish that had come decades before and 
as I listened to that, to you talk about that, and I listened to Lori in an inquiry, and I present information right now just because it was it was fact. My mom was my greatest teacher and my greatest fire from tinyhood because she was schizophrenic. And so she had a very different reality than the vast majority of people on the planet. And I fought my entire life to hang on to reality. So then she'd say, there are people talking to clouds. I'd look up at four and five and six years ago. No, they're not. And we went at it like that until six years ago. And my mom was approaching her death. I didn't know it. And as she approached death, all of her man, all of her hallucinations, the auditory ones, the physical ones, um, manifested. And she literally felt the dare, the devil ripping out her eyes. Mm. Um, it was awful for her. And what I tried to do was help and to calm her and say, Mom, it's not real. It, it's really not real. And as I tried to calm her, she came to an awareness of what I was saying. And what she said to me with increasing terror, it was terror. Do you mean to tell me that most of what I've experienced in my life, known as my life, has been a lie? And she got hysterical. Mm. And in that moment, I realized that our pain, we had caused each other, hers, mine, and our mutual pain, was a result of her trying to hold on to her reality so tightly and me so tightly. And if I had realized that she so needed to hold on to that, and if I had just released, we would have had a, a much more loving relationship than we did. Mm. And I, I can't undo it, but I can change and have work to change from that moment forward because we all hold on to those things. And those of us who, like me, no, this is truth. This is truth. This is truth. This is the truth. Sometimes <laughs> I just need to let people walk their path. Mm. It was a great awakening for me. So, yeah. I'm seeing a lot of similarities now to, with your story and the, I've been thinking about the degree to which the people who stormed the Capitol believe in their vision and, and then how they respond if, if they're confronted with this isn't true. Exactly, which is why I think my mom has made it so much easier for me I, I don't get angry. I watch it. I know that it's limbic fear and a construct. I don't get angry with it. I'm saddened by it, but I, I get it. Flint, I get it. Flint and I had kind of a disagreement and he, he said that they were liars. And, and my 
view is that they sincerely believe in what they they profess. And I, I don't know. Um, there was also someone else saying that they were liars, and I just don't know if he was like just supporting that person or what. But but I don't think that's a belief that I'm going to change in my life. That that they were authentically doing. Like Socrates said, people choose to do the good, and in their minds, they were doing what they thought was the good. Right. I'm so glad to hear you say that, Kim, because I think that's one of the struggles I have with people outside of the Zendo, um, people who either don't have a practice of any kind or, or specifically a Buddhist practice oriented towards um, a peaceful coexistence is that sense of they, you know, that pointing the finger, they, they're lying, they're doing this. They, and yet I see them just like you're talking about. These are people who believe strongly that they are doing the right thing and they believe we are the people that are wrong and that are hurting. And when I look at it like that, I, I really do have to take a step back and say, you know, I, I don't agree with that, but I can't call them, you know, demons. You know, I can't say that they're like some people, you know, they're just devil spawn, you know, that kind of thing. They believe what they are doing is for the good of the country. And they're giving their lives for it. And, you know, yes, would, they would, are. Would, would we give our lives equally for what we believe? You know, what yeah. I, what I, um, if I can interject something that, when I was watching that on TV, watching the them storming the Capitol and you know gaining access, I was thinking to myself. Um, well, I was watching them and they're they're you know they're so excited you know about now we're going to do this and let's go do, th and I and I was remembering or thinking back in the times that I've demonstrated um, and been involved in marches and. Um, the feeling you have when you're in with adventure people and you all agree about something and, and how you get all sort of really excited and have these really, I don't know, you have a sense of defiance against the other side. And I, I, I didn't agree with what they were, what they were doing, of course, but I, but I know that feeling of being in that situation, being in a crowd of people and you're all saying, those yeah. other people are crazy. And, yeah. and let's go do this, let's go storm this, or let's go you know, get really crazy because you've got a huge mass of people with you and you know, mob, mob mentality and all that. So I, that's what was going through my head when I was watching it, was just. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I, I um, remember what Byron Katie said you know, I really liked her as a teacher. And she said that we are a species or a country or a world of believers. We're all believers. And um, we seem to act on those beliefs. It, you know, and beliefs are just thoughts. They're conditioning, they're things that have happened, they're memories, they're emotions, they're thoughts. And the thoughts are kind of, you know, don't have much impact until we believe them. And we right. all have those thoughts, those things that we hold, you know, that we cherish, you know, yes. I mean, 
and uh, that's that's where the issue is. And we definitely um, one of the main thoughts that I believe is that uh, there's a me and there's a them, and we're totally different, totally separate. At least um, that's the thought that's caused the most pain, you know. But um, I don't think I've seen any terrorist actually come out and say, um, "I'm a I'm a demon. I'm a terrorist. I'm here to <laughs> to do evil." I think they also think that they're acting in the best interest of themselves or something. Well, there is a there is a, a like a group hysteria, a group thing. They're part of this pack. They're not individually thinking as much as. No, it's the mob mentality. There is certainly that, and and are we in the mob mentality too? Well, I think everybody is. That's where we come back to practice because I've got a group of friends who love take oh and and who love taking an event, whatever event. This is this is what energizes them, and beating the event to death. And I think, oh my gosh, if you took all that energy and put it into something so worthwhile, go out and feed the hungry, you know, go out and plant a garden. Go out and do something that adds rather, it just seems so, um, a, a direction that I don't want my energy to go in, go toward. It, it kind of seems wasteful to me <laughs> to take all that, you know, energy and put it into anger. Why don't just go, go do some, something good with it, you know? Yeah, so. it's, it's interesting to me. I saw a, um, documentary the other day about these two Australian guys or four of them or five of them who did a bike trip across the United States um, and they went through all these uh, rural areas you know in the uh, you know places not very populated and um, the immense amount of um, number one there was a lot of craziness and paranoia about the government in those places and they heard a lot of really crazy things but universally the people were kind to them. We're busy giving them food and you know feeding them dinner and helping them you know get gas and or whatever they needed you know to get across the country. I mean, it was really interesting, you know. So the same crazy person who's got twenty guns in his house was also you know trying to give them barbecue. You know, here you must be hungry. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's um. I think I think at the basis of everybody is this heart. Uh, you know, and that's where we need to meet. We need need to meet in the heart. We can. Yeah. I like that they, he said. I don't. I don't want to leave this. He said enlightenment is just the beginning. Mm -hmm. I thought that was good. I I don't know that I have read exactly those words before. Yeah, you know, um, Adyashanti always says it's not how enlightened you were yesterday. It's how or how awake you were yesterday in that experience. He says, how awake are you right now? In this moment, how awake are you? You know, that's the only thing that matters. And that's ongoing. That was so cool. Yeah. Thank you for that, Gail. Well, Laura, you sound tired. I am. <laughs> I need sleep. 
Okay. It sounds like you need rest because you're white. So <laughs> I am. I do. <laughs> Is this a good place to end for everyone? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This was really a good. I liked this koan. It was good. Yeah. Stephanie, are you in your? Um, have you arrived at the house where you're going to be? Yeah, we. Uh, so we ended up our first. Um, our first Airbnb that we had reserved, we were there 10 minutes and realized it was not going to work. And uh, so we, because it shared an HVAC system with another unit. And so we immediately got on the on the internet with uh, Airbnb, um, found another place that was extremely expensive, <laughs> but it is amazing. It is at the top of a hill. I'm in, in Echo Park. I don't know if you know where that is. Yes, I do. In Echo Park, um, top of a hill. View of, of L.A. is unbelievable out the windows. We have a huge deck and backyard. I have my own backyard entrance so Jack and I can go out. I mean, it's just... So we'll be here for um, at least uh, four weeks while they look for a house. Mm. And then we'll see what happens. Well, at least you have a lovely place to hang out. We do. I miss we California. Do. I miss California. So as well, soon as I get the vaccine, I'm going to go out. I miss Austin. Oh. I miss we miss Austin. you. We miss you. We're so, I'm so glad you're still with us, though. I love this. Thank you. Now, you know, now that one of my biggest regrets is the week before I left, I thought about texting you and asking or emailing you and asking you if you would like to have tea at Cherrywood before I left. And I just got involved with stuff and I never did. And I so regret that. Why? Because just your, your heart saying you wanted to do that. We just, yeah, we just had tea right there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, I will see you guys next Monday then. Okay. Take care, everyone. Have a great week, everybody. A great okay. week. Yeah. Oh, Kim, Kim. Yes. I got to tell you something real quick. Before I moved into the bedroom, Louie came in. They were outside, and he saw me on, and he wanted to look. And the first thing he said when I showed him was, Kim, Kim. <laughs> he okay. knows who you are. The two-year-old? Yes. Aww. How does he know who I am? Because last Monday I told him your name, oh. and then and then he saw your face somewhere else. But he knows who you are. Oh, <laughs> that's precious. Oh, night, guys. Okay. Night. Hey, Kim. Kim. Yes, ma'am. Can I have a word with you? Yes. Um, Is it going to be a good thorough meeting? Yeah, it might be. <laughs> no. I, you know what? I think I've solved the, the, the question about why my camera goes off. Yes, I may, why? I may, I may have mentioned it before. I, it, it tells me sometimes I get these messages that says it's on, I'm on another device. Well, we that's what we talked about. Yeah. Right. And so, um, I, I, and today I got on and worked on that calendar as coordinator. And I think it's that um, I, I know you've told me how to log out, but I've never, I, I can't figure it out on my machine, but I'm convinced it's that it's the fact that the coordinator 
is using um, is is working and using my. Well, I don't think it has to do with the calendar because that's not using the camera. I won't buy that, but but it is a multi. You're you're on with multiple um, logins and stuff. I agree yeah. with that, but not well, forget about the calendar. That's not it. Well, maybe it's not the calendar. Well, but it's the same day that I. It seems to be. Um, those two factors have come into alignment. Yeah, but when you, when you go to the Zoom thing and and you know and the you can see if you're logged in on the upper right corner. I didn't log out as coordinator. I don't I can't figure out how to do it on my computer. Oh. But uh, well, if you go to zoom.us in your browser. Let me write that down because you told me that before and I don't remember these things. I mean, you you kind of have to do two things because they don't always work together, but one is to go to zoom.us. Uh-huh. And on the upper right corner with your picture, little picture, yeah. you can sign out. And then when you go to the Zoom icon in the upper right corner, like let me I'm gonna share and see if you can oh yeah, I think you can see it. Just a second. Oh no. Uh Let's see if this works. Yeah. Okay. Do you see this what? screen? You see where my cursor is? Yeah. But the upper right corner and down here is sign out. Can you see that? I see your cursor, but it's in the middle of nowhere. Oh, but anyway, in the upper right corner, when you click on the Zoom icon, it, you can sign out from Zoom. So okay, now, I'm gonna I'm gonna try that because maybe I'll okay. try to log out of Zoom entirely and then log back in. Um, okay, but, yeah. yeah, but look in the right corner and then also unclick "Keep me signed in." There's a thing. Keep me signed in when you go to sign in. Yeah. Don't have that checked, so then it will automatically unsign you when you're through with the program when you're through with the session. Oh, okay. Don't. So what is that? Say that again. Don't click on what? Sign me keep, in. Keep, keep me signed in. You don't want to have that box okay. checked. All right. I don't think I usually put that, but uh, okay. great. It's and kind so, of the, the default, I think. But anyway, you don't want that. Okay, great. Thank you. I'll, you're I'm gonna you're welcome. S All sleep right. well. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.